Hello there and welcome to the podcast. It's John Markar here and I thought I'd just jump in with a very quick but very important message that I wanted to share with you before you delve into this episode of the Driven Chat podcast. This podcast, the Driven Chat podcast, has now come to an end. But don't worry, I'm not going to stop you from listening to this episode or from catching up with the 185 episodes that we've recorded in this format. I just wanted to let you know that if you're looking for our new episodes recorded after December 2023, then you'll need to seek out our new podcast, The Driven Podcast. You can find The Driven Podcast in all the usual podcast platforms, including, chances are, the one that you're listening to this one on right now. So please do enjoy this episode, share it with a friend by all means. But when it's done, don't forget to search for the new podcast, The Driven Podcast, and subscribe to the new format to hear the new stuff. To make life easy, head on over to the Driven website via driven.site. There you will find links through to the new podcast, including links to your preferred podcast platform. And hey, whilst you're there, why not check out everything else we do, including hand-picked automotive news stories, car and bike reviews, video features, and even more. For now, though, I'll let you enjoy this episode. And I will remind you again at the end of the episode, but for the future reference, this message is approximately 1 minute and 30 seconds long. That's six clicks on the 15-second skip button. Enjoy. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, my name is Charlotte Valden. I am a writer, driver, presenter, and classic car adventurer. The Driven Chat Podcast, powered by Paramex Digital. Hello and welcome to the latest Driven Chat podcast. My name is John Markar and... My name is Amy Haynes. Hey. Hey. I think for the first time in maybe however many weeks you've been married, it's starting to... I'm starting to expect Just the starting to sink in for me too. When it comes out my mouth, it still feels a bit weird and I have to think about it, but it's feeling a little bit easier now. Have you ever said like Shane's? <laughs> Not yet. Yeah. I've gone... I may be short, well, Haynes, but technically, you know, you can know me as sure, but it, it doesn't matter. I've done that a few times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, also, it's worth celebrating the fact that I think third week in a row, we're having a podcast together. Is it? Yeah. Oh, this is good. Yeah, we had Ivan Cervantes. That was a few weeks ago. Last week was our chat with Miles, yes. the three of us. And now this week, you and I are sat in the studio with, da-da-da-da-da, as you've just heard there, dear listener, Charlotte Valden. I love hey. that little trumpet introduction. How wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's lovely to be here. It's good, good to, to have, have you. you. Oh, yeah. See, in tune now, three weeks in. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> That's very yeah. sweet. Guys. Start very, very ending sweet. ending each other's sentences. <laughs> uh, yes, this is, uh, this is really nice. Now we, Charlotte, well, in fact, all three of us have known each other for a while and we've bumped into each other at various events, including in a very short space of time in the past I'd say four or five weeks from when we're recording this, you and I bumped into each other 
Charlotte at the Dacha Dacha party, party, which has just been the talk of the town (laughs) for the past three or four months, uh, which was an amazing event because, as I might have mentioned in last week's episode, uh, we were all kind of standing around. We'd all arrived. We're doing that awkward thing of like, oh, I wonder if we're going to know anyone that's already there, journalists and media people. Of course we did. There were lots of people. And then James May turned up. Yes. Dressed as James May, walking around looking like James May because of Dacha. Very relaxed he was. He was. I think he made the most of the barbecue buffet, as we all did. Yes. <laughs> You're absolutely right. We did. We did. You really did miss something there, Amy. I feel like I did miss out now. Yeah. I laughed at you when we first heard about this. I know. They put <laughs> now, me up in a lovely hotel. Yeah. Now I feel, uh, yeah, a bit, a bit disappointed. Yeah. It's um, delayed onset FOMO, is what we call <laughs> it, what it in is. the industry. Uh, I should also mention as well um, t- about today's recording. We're all in the same place. We're all in the studio in Coventry. Uh, Amy, you've turned up today looking a little bit wetter than Charlotte and I. <laughs> so damp. Um, would, you, <laughs> would you like to tell the listeners why you're so damp in your words? <laughs> well, because um, I've arrived today on a lovely uh, Royal Enfield Super Media 650. Mm. Is it 650 Super Meteor or Super Six, Meteor 650? Uh, Super Meteor 650, yeah. Yes, which is a lovely motorcycle. However, um, riding motorcycles in the rain, when mm. you kind of forgot what it's like to ride motorcycles in the rain. Mm. I've done a lot of riding in the rain this year so far, but I just forgot. It's been a few weeks. Anyway, so my half an hour journey here, um, I just thought, you know what? I'll just whack on some waterproof trousers and I'll be fine. (laughs) I am not fine. (laughs) But in a way, does it not make you feel kind of epic that, you know, you turned your journey into work, into something more than just autopilot getting in a car and staying nice and dry? Well, I did did go on autopilot and I missed the turning. (laughs) Did you? Oh, I did that too. I, I did an extra junction on the yeah, motorway. So I went yeah. over the overpass oh, and down right. to the roundabout. Very and I was scenic. Like, oh, no. What, what you wanted was to be closer to the rain yeah. by going higher up over the overpass. Exactly. So I'm a bit sniffly and a little bit damp now. Yeah. So, oh. um, But no, it looked like it stopped raining. So that's a good start. Yeah. Well, I so at the moment, I also have a press bike. I've got the Ducati Desert X. You and do. I have every, I had, I should say, every aspiration to get on that bike. And I thought, the forecast said it might be raining very, very early and then it's going to stop. So I thought, well, if the roads are a bit wet, that's fine. I'll ride in. But I looked out the window this morning and it was absolutely backing down. I just <laughs> thought, no, I'm, I'm not doing it. I'm a fair weather fairy and I take my hat off to you. Thank you very much. Well, I would have come in the MGB if that hadn't have, hadn't got broken window wipers. These MGs, eh? Who'd have them? Yeah, yeah I know. Yeah. Uh, well, glad we all made it. All dri- What did you drive here today? 2010 Sorry. Vauxhall Astra Active, Whoa. don't you know? Oh, yeah. Active it, You can hear it coming. Um, I'm surprised you didn't, actually, because the exhaust <laughs> is pretty tired. And it's, you know, you get that... <laughs> oh, yeah. As you're yeah. going along, yeah, and everyone sort of turns around. And it's not the first time it's happened. It's been a bodge repair for quite some time now. Perfect. <laughs> um, so, yeah. I need to I need to get around to, to sorting it out again because it's pretty embarrassing. But Excellent. is it like one of those kind of dodgy exhaust no- noises where it sounds like you've had some kit put on, <laughs> but it's just now a little bit. You know when you, you hear someone come in, it's like, and you realise yeah. that someone's exhaust has just totally fallen off kind of noise. People are turning of... around in expectation of seeing like an, a, <laughs> an old like jag or something coming up the road. Oh, it's a... It's an Astra Active Edition. I think it needs to go down an octane before it gets to cool. At the moment, it's got that tinny kind of... Got it, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's a car that needs attention. I kind need of the thing. noise. Um, but it's my daily. I love it. And I, the more the older it gets, the more I want to keep it. Um, because it's just... Yeah, it's just... She's called Bridget. And she's Bridget. become my Bridget. best friend. Yeah. Yeah. So this is... And also, it's very important because we get a lot of listeners that 
that do listen to us, especially the younger generation who perhaps aspire to be motoring journalists. And I encourage it. It's the, it is one of the best jobs in the world. You get to drive some amazing cars. But it is also worth pointing out that, you know, we don't, we don't immediately become millionaires in this job. And quite often, whilst we do get to drive around in some very exciting cars that are given to us by press offices or motorcycles and things, often the daily drivers aren't as exciting. Mm-hmm. But and you said immediately. Just... Does that mean it's going to happen one day? Well, this is very exciting know. news <laughs> to me. <laughs> it hasn't happened to me yet. Um, but hey, I don't have a TV show on Dave, so... Yeah, you're ah, now a TV da-da. presenter. I am. As of last night, 6pm uh, on Dave, the first episode of a new show, which is all about classic car restoration, um, premiered, um, as you said, on Dave, um, and it's called Repair Lot, and it's also being sold in America on Motor Trend. That's so um, cool. Well, uh, I'll tell you what they've called it over there. Wait right. for it. Motor Shed Squad. <laughs> Motor, <laughs> Motor Shed, shed squad. squad. Yeah. That's it's a, quite an interesting choice. That's a confusing sequence of words. Motor Shed Squad. Yeah. Motor Shed Squad. Do people squad. have motor sheds? I, I'm not quite sure. Like, I, you know how you say, oh, in my garage. Or... I didn't think shed was a, like an American word at all. No. For, like, no. They, they don't say like... Garage, they'll say workshop. And you say like yeah. auto shop, shop. and yeah. things like that. So I thought Shit. repair lot would have been quite, you know, you could apply that to, yeah. the, to stateside, but apparently not. Um, obviously, I'm not a decision maker in all this, <laughs> and it must make sense um, to someone, but yeah, yeah, motor shed squad. Motor Shed Squad. It's but like it's, a, it's such a weird thing though, because the show, it's you know, it's filmed in Surrey. You know, we get cutaways um, of a little baby deer and oh. a little robin and things like that. So it's like, it you know, you've got Motor Shed Squad and then a robin in the English countryside. <laughs> you know, it's very, it's very strange. And trout gently jumps from the street. Yeah. Well, uh, Motor Shed Squad for our American yeah. listeners, which we do have quite a few. Um, they can watch that on Motor Trend. That's exciting. But before, let's talk about the show in a little bit. We'll definitely we'll get there because I want to know everything about it and how it came about and what's involved and what you love about it and all that sort of stuff. Ooh, but, sorry, hit the microphone. As, <laughs> as, as Amy smashes the microphone with her coffee. Um, one of the things that I always love to do, as you may have heard on, on these podcasts, is try and get a little glimpse into how this world in which you're now involved and, and working and loving and enjoying, how it all started with the world of cars or motorcycles or that sort of thing. So do you have a very early core memory as far back as you can go mm-hmm. that might be the the one event or sequence of events that planted the seed that's ultimately resulted in getting you to where you are right now? I think there's a collection of memories and I think that's something that a lot of people... Um, can sort of uh, relate to because it's not something I thought about until I started working in the automotive industry Mm -hmm. Um, and when you kind of look back at your memories and you think oh actually that really stands out and oh that really stands out so I'm the daughter of mechanics I grew up going to car shows air shows things like that but I was more interested in the craft tent or the ice cream van you know (laughs) didn't really engage with what I was actually there Um, but my gramps used to take me to school um, when I was a teenager in his Ford Escort. Oh. And it was that kind of sunburnt orange, you know, really tatty. You know, the <laughs> interior has faded. Mm. And it was that car that, you know, quite embarrassed, you know, oh, man. Um, but he, as I say, he took me to school, picked me up from school and I had a really rubbish time at school. And we used to sit in this Escort and I'd cry mm. and he'd just 
he'd just tell me like things are going to be okay um and he used to say to me you'll show them how it's done mm-hmm. you know you're going to prove to these people that mean to you now that you know you're more than what they say you are in this moment because that doesn't matter um and you know that memory being in that car i didn't realize until i was an adult and i started working in this in this kind of crazy automotive space that wow actually something that completely changed my life happened in that ford escort with my gramps Mm. you know and so when you start looking back and unpicking your memories you realize that a lot of them were associated with cars um and in 2019 i got made redundant um and my dad picked me up in his bmw and he had the same sort of conversation with me when you know you're at that low point in your life it's a real pivotal moment he picked me up from work that day and we just sat there and just had a cry and all of that kind of thing and so cars have always been there during moments of like sadness but also you know really happy ones like my granddad and my other granddad had us had an mga and i remember being a little girl in that and in the passenger seat just about able to see over the side of the door mm-hmm. um and just looking up at him and so there are loads of different memories that i would say sparked sort of um moments that i've sort of pinned in that pinboard in your brain but didn't realize they were there until you kind of yeah. look back at them um so That's it's really tricky nice. to kind of choose one um because as well you know my, my parents split up um so my mum would pick me up from dad's and she'd make the journey to her house longer um and the journey back to her house longer so we had more time together mm. um and things like that you know cuz cars move you around and they move you as a person as well so yeah lots of automotive memories that's um, really tricky nice. to pick one it's absolutely i know it's an impossible question some people are able to go yes i remember crashing mm. my granddad's jag into a wall and that's <laughs> what started it and other people like yourself it's and i think i'm the same it's a sequence of lots of different things that perhaps even now as a mid-30s man you look back and go oh yeah I know that that's come back to me and it's it is quite nice and and of course that beautiful analogy as well about the fact that cars and this is why we all love cars I guess it's because they enable these amazing stories and often you know I have very happy memories I think back to going to Goodwood events with my dad and stuff mm-hmm. and you think back to the, the event was amazing but also the drive home or the drive there was amazing because you'd be looking out for the other cars on their way to Goodwood mm-hmm. and you'd be like oh look there's an old TVR it's about to burst into flames <laughs> ha, ha, you know that sort of stuff so yeah I think it's uh yeah good answer I think it's it's really cool so your your kind of uh your career from school let's say mm-hmm. it hasn't quite been I think like many people in this industry, and Amy and I can relate to this because neither of us set out to end up here as podcast people in the studio. Um, You didn't even set out Amy as a photographer initially, did you? You were setting out to be a silversmith and other exciting things, and then photography came later. Um, What was your initial life plan or goal, or did you have one? what What did you want to be when you grow up? I wanted to be a writer, Um, So I was a really creative child, loved crafting, spent a lot of time on my own, um, (laughs) made lots of lovely things for everyone in the family. Um, (laughs) But I I sort of chose to go down the writing route and referencing that conversation with my gramps in the car, it was the writing because I used to write him poems and things like that. And he was like, you're going to do this. And he said to me again in that Ford Escort, he said, you're going to get a column in the Times one day, my girl. And, And that is what set me on my path into journalism because I thought if my gramp says I can do it, 
going to give it a go. Oh. Yeah. Uh, so I stayed on at school and stayed in sixth form purely. I went to colleges and had a look and I couldn't really find anything that really excited me. Mm-hmm. So I was a bit lazy, stayed on for sixth form, did that. And then thought, oh, I'll go to uni then um, and went to uh, Essex Uni in Colchester and studied creative writing. Mm -hmm. When I got there, I very quickly realised that unless you become, you know, a fantastically popular novelist and it gets turned into a movie, Mm. maybe it's going to be quite tricky to make a living out of the more creative um, side of, of, you know, what you can do with words. Mm. So I sat in a library um, and used their dial-up internet in those oldie (laughs) times. And I had a pile of actual print magazines and newspapers and I went through them and this was, you know, before the time where there were lots of social media handles and email addresses easily accessible. So it was kind of like the address that would be letters at whatever the publication mm-hmm. was or editor at, you know, so quite generic um, addresses. But I wrote this email using my Hotmail account. Perfect. That tells you how old I am. <laughs> um, and, uh, Is yours a .com or a .co.uk? It was a .com. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, early doors. Yeah. Um, my dad has a .co.uk because he's, you know, he was the next gen of Hotmail. <laughs> um, but, yeah, mine was, uh, was hotmail.com and I crafted also I thought this email and said I was really interested in a career mm-hmm. in journalism uh sent it off really excited da, da, da. a few days later I got a reply from the then travel editor at the times and she called me a rude word and said if you are interested in a career in journalism then I suggest you get a dictionary because rather than saying career I had said I wanted to be a courier as in someone that couriers parcels or whatever or what vehicles um and I just thought actually fair play because it was a massive lesson learned Mm. because there wasn't anything that highlighted the spelling mistake in the context of the email Mm, gmail does that for you now you know but there was nothing that said to me you know check your work check your work and it was like Fair play. And she's the only person that replied. So I did the email again with the correct spelling of the word or the correct usage of the right word. And I got a response from someone at the Daily Express. And he said, come down to the office, have a chat, see how we get on. And then from that point, um, I went down once a week whilst I was studying at uni to do work experience and just went from there. Um, I mean, it's tricky when I graduated. It was really, really tricky Mm. Um, because whilst I was at uni, I worked at the pub in the summer and studied in the term time. And and that's all, you know, the summer job paid for my train tickets Mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, So that's sort of where it started. But it was that fallout after uni that was really tough Mm. because it is not easy and it's something you, you know, you've discussed before on this podcast is that it's not an easy industry to get into. Um, And quite often it's not necessarily what you know, it's who you know. Sure, yeah. I didn't know anyone. I I had no contacts. You know, my my dad's a mechanic. Um, You know, mum was an estate agent. There was no sort of, we had no contacts. Um, So even though I'd been, you know, work, work experience at the paper for three years, it was still really tricky to get an actual paid job because back then and still now, oh, work for free, work for free. But to be fair, um, I had an amazing arts editor at the Express and she started paying me for book reviews as soon as I started writing them. So, yeah, and uh, and I think, like, you know, there have been a lot of people that have really helped me along that 
journey to where I've got to today. And I'm so grateful for it. And it's just, you know, I think you guys are the same sort of people. It's like if you can give someone an opportunity, mm. you do it because you know how hard it is. Yeah, sure. absolutely. Um, to right. just get yeah. that first chance, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And to kind of show them as well. I think that's one of the things I've tried to do. Because, again, I, like all of us in this room, definitely have that period of some weeks it feels like it's going to be brilliant and everything's going in the right direction. Other weeks it feels like it's all falling apart and you should just jack it in and go and work back at the pub, you know, that, that, that kind of mindset. So for me, I've always, when now, as a more of a grown-up, when, when I'm given the opportunity to take other people on, I kind of want them to firstly like find their own feet but also make make them realise that it's not quite as big and scary and terrifying as perhaps many people think it is mm-hmm. um because as you say we're all in it because we like cars and therefore that makes it quite an easy place to be um, but your initial so your initial writing job wasn't motoring focused it wasn't mo- you weren't a motoring journalist to start out with what sort of stuff were you doing other than the book reviews <laughs> big question <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah i started with the book reviews um at the express and then i worked on the daily mail for a little while uh-huh. um but one of my i would say most uh um, I don't know how to describe it really. It was a, a women's magazine and uh, I went in on what's supposed to be a two-week placement uh-huh. and I was working on the features desk. So it was often sort of uh, case study-led, sorting out photo shoots, things like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with magazines, you have special editions. I was about um, to say, is this about to be your Devil Wears Parada story that uh-huh. I've noted down? So <laughs> yeah. in, in the notes that we received before we uh, started chatting with, with Charlie, um, you, you were saying in, in your notes that... Uh, you you were loving it until this thing happened. So yeah, just to, to preface this to, for other people. So to to kind of put us back in in where, where you were, you were with your your this magazine, and then sorry, I, I butted it. Continue. No, no, no. Yeah, please. I love I love an intro. So, <laughs> um, so basically, I, I'm just I'm, I'm just intrigued because obviously this has been something that affected you by the sounds of it from uh, from your notes. And then you're like, I'm gonna I'm, I'm leaving now. <laughs> now I'm gonna go and look at cars instead. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so I was 21, and in this environment where. You, know, you go into these places, everyone knows what they're doing and you are there for two weeks and you have to sort of slot in. Mm. And you, you it's that balance of between, you know, making yourself really available and you know being really up for any opportunities, but also inside you're really scared at the same time and you don't know the office dynamics and things like that. And, and anyway, this two-week placement turned into about six months in the end. Um, but towards the end of it, there were some tricky dynamics between the people that work there to deal with. I had to take on a lot more responsibility um, than maybe I should have done at that point um, because someone wasn't sort of doing her job properly. But it wasn't. It didn't turn into the best environment and I very much felt like I was in some ways being punished um, and they had this uh, sexy September edition. Okay? <laughs> and you can imagine the sort of content that might have gone into a sexy September edition. I don't know why September, but that's what they went with. Because illi- in a month that begins with S. Yeah, yeah it's, it's it, it sounds... The laziest alliteration. Yeah. <laughs> September, sexy September. That's the one. Yeah, that's the one we'll go with. And my job for that edition was to call in as many sex toys as was possible right so you can imagine what my google search history was like um 
And so, yeah, I ordered boxes and boxes of samples, you know, and, and the cringe, cringeworthiness of writing an email to someone and saying, can I have samples of this, this and this? Because you then get back, are these samples going to be used or <laughs> wow. are they for being photographed or yep. really awkward conversations? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, all these sex toys arrived at the office um, and then I was then asked to present them to the, the editor. So I had to right. lay a bunch of sex toys out on the editor's desk in her office um, and talk her through <laughs> the features, um, the pros and cons, <laughs> features you know, and you know the reasons for the sort of you know the silhouette of the sh- of the toy and what it did and things like that, and then and just wait for her to decide which ones she wanted to feature in the edition. Wow! In your head, were you thinking? What am I doing? Yes. Yeah, well, you're like <laughs> Very look, much so. Up for the hidden cameras. <laughs> yeah. Is there, there surely must be a camera. No, nope, no, nope, this is actually happening. Yeah, it was one of those, well, I'm not going to be telling Gramps about this one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not something you're going to take home with you. Uh, and then the the worst was yet to come because I did that and she chose what she wanted to, mm-hmm. to have in the edition and then packed them all away. Um, but there was one that was, I would describe as uh, quite large, um, Beyond life size impression sizes, um, <laughs> skin tones, yep. um, and I put that one not for usage at a later date. I just put it in one of the drawers, um, and then it went missing. <laughs> and then I was told that I had to send an all users email asking for it to be returned. Stop <laughs> it was that. the worst thing. <laughs> Ever. What was the subject line? <laughs> I was like, I can't, do you know what? I can't even remember the subject line. I think it was just like, um, <laughs> sample, <laughs> please return sample. And, it, and I, But in the email, I had to say what it was. And it was oh, just... Like, did you include photographic description? No, because I didn't have a camera phone by this point. This was, again, no. it, was, it was the old days. Nice. Um, but I did have, I did include a link to, to what it was so people could have that visual reference in case they'd forgotten what they'd <laughs> yeah. stolen. And needless to say, it was never returned oh how strange no so i then had to um that one's being sent back so i then had to um explain to the the pr lady that had sent it very kindly that this like 95 pounds monstrosity was not going to be returned boxed um (laughs) at all so yeah that was one of those early kind of you know but i think stuff like that is as horrendous as it feels at the time it becomes an anecdote yeah it it does and it's like i survived that it wasn't that bad at the time you just are I think it also teaches you what you do and do not enjoy about the job. So you thought, mm. you yes. know what? I love writing. I don't like writing about sex toys. No. <laughs> but you might have done it. You might have thought, you know what? This is great fun. I love this. Uh, a friend of mine um, w- was getting into photography and then he got a, uh, a photography job photographing cat food. And he was like, you know what? I don't think I like photography <laughs> jobs. I'm going to be a painter instead. And I was going to be famous artist. So um, yeah, we'd all, all, I think we all do the jobs that we think, you know what? I'm just going to do this because it's an, it's an experience. I've never done this. And I've learnt that I still don't want to do it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Glad I now know. It's that kind of thing, isn't it? Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm glad I now know that this is not what I wanted to do. Because you could easily lose a lifetime pursuing that dream going, maybe it'll get better next week. <laughs> um, so You left that, that you left that yeah. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, this is it now. So I suppose after you got made redundant in 2019, mm. and then we had you know global pandemic and all that, mm. at what point did you start writing about cars? 
So I went from the sex toys uh, to the Sunday Times. Okay. Um, <laughs> Quite and the was, transition. It yeah. was. Yeah. Do you know, my first day, so from that experience at that magazine, someone I had worked with at the Express um, before, I had a really tough time. Um, I wasn't happy and I was thinking about quitting altogether mm-hmm. um, because I wasn't getting paid. Mm-hmm. It was really difficult. I can't, you know, you can't finance it if you've got to pay for your train tickets every day, yeah. things like that. Um, and again, this was before um, there was sort of like really good phone contracts. So I was borrowing my mum's phone using the landline and she was like, you can't keep doing interviews at home. It's costing mm. too much money. And she wasn't being unfair, mm. but there gets to a point where you have to say something has to change. Um, and so I was considering leaving the industry altogether. I was looking into nursing, um, just something completely different. And I then get this phone call from someone at the Sunday Times and she just said, I've heard you've had a tough time. Do you want to come for a shift? And that was it. And that started 10 years at the Sunday Times. And that wow. was that, like, I'm nearly there, Gramps. Oh. I'm, you know, I'm and where making did that it. come? Where did she come from? Did she? Were you on her radar? So she just knew someone that I'd been work experiencing with at the Daily Express. Wow. And that's where, as a sort of, you, you, it's that who you know, mm. you know, go in, be a nice person and just work your hardest. I've never had an interview for a job. Um, I don't know if that's quite unique or not, but I've just sort of you know been given chances mm-hmm. gone in and done a shift and, and as I say from from that first shift when I borrowed my mum's clothes because I thought I had to dress really posh yeah you, well, you, you do you get yeah. posh up being like you've got to go in dressing like you mean business mm-hmm. and the, you know the yeah, job yeah. and so I think the same thing when I've gone into interviews in the past even bloody you know like teenager kind of things you know it's like black trousers white shirt and you, you yeah. kind of go in like whatever you think they're meant to look for in, in an employee which is I think a good way of going into it but the especially with the creative world that, you know, the, the, the times have changed. We used to be at a point where, especially when we were growing up, it's like, oh, you can't have any tattoos, especially if you aren't going to have any, you cannot get, have them on show at Absolutely, all. Absolutely, yeah. The amount of people now come in, neck tattoos, hand tattoos, and we're just like, okay, cool, whatever. Can yeah, you do the job? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So you, you, you went in looking all smart and then, uh, yeah. Did they look at you as if to say, like, you look like you're at school, you don't need to wear that? It was definitely that because I had like a, a pencil skirt on that was this like itchy tweed material <laughs> knee-high flat boots um a sort of blazer thing and I didn't I felt so alien in my own well my mum's clothes yeah. I, was like, I, I just didn't it didn't feel great um but I thought it was going to be really business-like mm. and then you go into that newsroom floor and and this was where um so the, the historically you know newspapers were printed down in East London in Wapping um after they moved from Fleet Street and so when I started at the paper um they were still in Wapping in their old print works and in the olden days they used to smoke indoors and things like that and so the office was just this yellowed like building with very few windows and it was just it was just it was incredible to be in that space but nothing what I thought it was going to be like I thought it'd be you know kind of like typewriters and you know the sort of things that you'd see in movies um and it wasn't it was just really tired people um <laughs> and really stressed out people and but you could see the tribes within the office because the designers dressed differently to the news journalists and the sports people and things like that so I, from that first day I was like okay I don't really need to dress like anything just wear yeah. something that I feel comfortable in um and also I was sat underneath an air conditioning um unit so it was freezing <laughs> so I was like, I'm just gonna keep on my coat on anyway Brilliant. um and yeah from there it was 10 years and I moved from news um onto features and saw that whole transition from print journalism into digital mm. which was super exciting um but also it kind of shifted how I felt about the industry as a whole because I went in as a storyteller yeah and the focus then I moved from being uh, you know um someone that 
worked on writing stories and stuff like that, I became an editor by the time I left. So again, you've moved away from storytelling. You're in a different role. Yeah. Um, so it was really different. I was quite disenchanted by the time I left, um, as you mentioned in 2019, because um, we all got made redundant. Absolutely. So, yeah. Just want I want to pick up on the the transition from print media to digital because this is something we've spoken to loads of photographers about that transition from shooting on film to shooting on digital format and I think for there's always it's always quite interesting hearing that story this is obviously quite a different um, area or area of expertise when it comes to the actual medium that's going out but what was that like from a writer's point of view can you remember what the the day-to-day conversations were like in an office environment where for the past 150 200 years what we've done is we've typed things into a machine whether that be a typewriter or a computer that's then gone into a printing plate that's then produced a physical piece of paper that we hold to suddenly that is still happening but now we're going to focus on this new thing it's going to be online it's going to be on people's phones it's going to be on people's ipads laptops what can you remember it being like again, a bit like digital photography, where some people thought it was kind of going to be a short-term fad and it wasn't going to be ever as good as film, so therefore it was going to come and go. But of course, as we all now know, it stuck around. Was there a similar sort of feeling about digital or did people know fairly early on that this was what it's going to be like now? It's going to be an online platform rather than just exclusively paper. Well, there's quite a few streams to that whole transition because to start with, you have the actual stories. Mm. So, for example, when I started, there was a news journalist called Marie Colvin and she was a foreign correspondent. So her job was to go out into war zones. Um, yeah, no, and that's, yeah, I've seen incredible that. woman, yeah, wasn't she? Um, eye patch. Yeah, yeah, really, really so cool. iconic. Yeah. Um, and she would send us copies. So when I was working on the Sunday Times on a Saturday night, is when your live section, so news, sport, mm-hmm. uh, business, and things like that, go off to the press. And you'd be sitting there waiting for her story to come in, and you're thinking, is she alive? Mm. If she's alive, has she got? you know, the right comms to get that information to you. If she doesn't get that to you, how do you feel that page or half page, depending on what you're expecting to and course, to get from yeah. her, you yeah. allocate certain space on that print page. Um, and so it was very much a story being told from someone on the ground. Of course, you have, you know, a newspaper's bias, political bias, personal bias. But at the end of the day, that is still a human story being reported first person mm. from that place. Uh, unfortunately, she got targeted by terrorists um, and lost her life. Um, uh, the photographer she was with um, managed to get out because the hotel they were in got bombed. Um, he got out on a motorcycle underground. Um, but when she lost her life, it kind of marked you know, sort of perhaps serendipity played a part in that. That move from having a human somewhere to... YouTube has a video that it has verified that has been taken by someone in that somewhere that you Mm. want to tell a story from. And so for me as someone that, you know, I really see the value in proper storytelling and responsible storytelling, moving away from having our own person on the ground to using YouTube verified videos to write a story around that perhaps putting in some quotes from some experts and stuff like that Mm. it detached from what i feel was responsible and right and don't get me wrong that that, like that's not a reflection on sunday times or any of those publications that's just very one small example there is still some incredible journalism done and Mm. they are so good at what they do and thankfully they still do that but 
as a whole, you know, the media world has moved away from having people in places to using online footage and things like that to report stuff that's happened. Um, so for me, I feel there's a bit of a detachment there. Mm. Um, as I say, there are still incredible journalists um, hired by all of these places you know investigations team on the sunday times and the times are just next level you know that's proper journalism and that yeah. is what i really respect mm -hmm. um whereas i think there's a difference between that and content creation because with the digital revolution where you're using google search engine optimization so when you type something into google um it brings up keywords mm -hmm. so you then had to start writing content and this is across the board for google as yeah, opposed to you know the print sort of reader um so there was it was interesting but when i was at the st we launched the first tablet edition of a newspaper and i tell you what months and months of months spent in a bunker you know as we <laughs> called it which was just another windowless office um <laughs> designing this product and launching that and i always remember as goodness I was like five in the morning and Rupert Murdoch was in the middle of the ocean with his iPad and he couldn't upload it because he didn't have the signal and you get this phone call and the, I didn't answer the phone obviously but someone like you know is on the phone to him and he can't get the edition to load and we're all thinking we've absolutely failed but it was actually just because he had no signal Brilliant. but he couldn't you know wow. he was like oh you know um and that was exciting to be part of that because you know, it was new and mm. you have to move with the times. And that was something that we struggled with, with some of the older journalists on the newsroom floor was that you've got to start thinking digitally. You've yeah. got to start thinking about other ways to tell this story because your future readers aren't going to be going to the shops and buying a paper. They're mm. not going to be taking out a print subscription. They're going to be using their smartphone, their tablet, all of these different platforms and devices to access their news information features. So when you've got a magazine feature that's eight pages in print are they going to consume that on a smartphone maybe not and so having all of those discussions about how you can re-sculpt that piece have a video at the top so you can watch half of what you'd read yeah. all of those kinds of things really exciting really made you think about what you were doing and and that was really cool that the sunday times is that they were doing that from really early on so i think i was very lucky in where i was positioned is that i got to learn an awful lot as they learn at the same time how to how to navigate this like whole new world of yeah. of media um you know podcasts weren't even really a thing when no. i started out and this no. and how incredible is this is that you just get to put something in your ear or in your car or whatever mm -hmm. and you get to access stories all the time on yeah. demand and 15 years ago when i started out it was still all about the print product yeah. um so yeah. there's so much positive um stuff that's come out of it mm. so yeah that's really cool it's really interesting to hear that from your side because i don't think I, I think it's a story that's rarely told it's kind of like everyone knows there was this big transition suddenly this new media platform had arrived but we very rarely actually get to hear from people that were there firsthand at that the the birth of it all to see how it was because it must have just been a huge guessing game as well for such a long period of time everyone's being told right we now have to be digital as well but there's no guidebook on how to do it because we've not done it before so just have a go yeah <laughs> see what happens and I mean yeah it's obviously as you say I mean I can't imagine trying to convince uh, a journalist that's been in a in a role for 30 or 40 years right can you can you rewrite the article but make sure it's google friendly mm -hmm. you make sure you throw in some keywords there that might get us in the top five ranking of google but and just seeing their face going 
I'm sorry, what? <laughs> do, you, do you feel that, that that's always going to be a thing? Like now I'm looking at some of the, um, you know, you sponsored posts on Instagram and stuff mm. and you've got like the independent that'll come up. And then every time I see one of their ads, it's always something clickbait. And you kind of like, yeah. you, you even mm. read the comments, you're like, can you just give us some actual proper journalism? Some mm. people will say, instead of just this, like making me like drive to click on it. And obviously it's because that's what the media want and what people what people yeah. are consuming. Yeah. But it must be quite frustrating as well to have to, change into that kind of like I know with with the photography side like I'm now looking at TikTok and stuff like that thinking well I feel that actually that lessens my brand because mm. I feel mm-hmm. it's so cheap and you know you're churning out not rubbish but like I just feel like it's a lot of like um repeat of what is like wanted at the minute which I don't actually think is got a lot of deep value in it I just think it's something that people can consume and quickly and, and, and immediately and all the time and I do I, that that must be the same in the journalism world as well and how does that feel for you for when you're writing, thinking, are people actually going to read this multi-thousand word piece that I've spent a lot of time, energy in researching and writing and making sure that I've got this story and this everything I want to get across, whereas people might only want to read the first couple of paragraphs and you're thinking, well, you know, what, 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 I don't know. How, how, does, how do you feel about all of that, basically? Uh, I find it really frustrating because I feel like the value of being a good writer and the same as being a good photographer has gone down when I started out a pound a word you have to fight Mm. 20p 25p now really yeah it's it's really tough um and it makes me really sad that people don't necessarily value what it means to be good at your craft Mm. um because there I think I mentioned before there's a massive difference between content and an actual story that has been told by someone who loves to do it I find it very frustrating sometimes don't get me wrong I I think Alex Goy in one of your really early podcasts was talking about that love-hate relationship that you have when with writing sometimes I very much feel that but I I find it really disheartening sometimes that because someone can just self-publish um a piece of content and it gets read and and that gets put in the same space as what I write, which is, you know, I really craft my pieces. I spend a lot of time researching um, and some people still value that. But I think it depends where it's going. Online is always a bit of a difficult beast because people are probably consuming that on a phone or mm. in a, an environment where they're less inclined to really dwell on it. Whereas if you've got a print magazine, then you've kind of invested in that sort of experience I suppose Mm -hmm. so I write for strangely country living magazine and (laughs) that's one of my favorite um sort of outlets to have my work published in is because they really understand the beauty in words and telling the same kind of story but in a different way in a creative way and it's a nice magazine and and it's just like a nice experience um and so I, I find it yeah really frustrating but at the same time it's also empowering a lot of people to get their voice heard and their you know their work seen um so there's there's a it's, it's a weird one because you're kind of in this battle of like oh no I don't want all this and you know no one should be able to say this now but actually you know we've talked about it already is that it can be really hard to to get seen Absolutely, and yeah. so you know if that means that some other people that are starting their journeys get to be seen, then wicked, you know, but and yeah. I think the, the, the old cliche saying of the cream will always rise to the top and it might be, you know, there are plenty of people that have gone down the routes and not just on journalism front, but it could be on photography. It could be on video production. It could be anything. Um, 
where you might not have necessarily got the degree. You know, I don't have a degree for anything that I do professionally, but I've got to where I am from having a go and being seen by the right people and having those opportunities come up. So you're absolutely right. I think there are people out there that will use this free-to-all platform that we've got through various social media platforms or writing their own blogs or their own websites or contributing for free to somebody else's site, which may get picked up by somebody else and they go, oh, quite like the way you did that. Can you, you know, come and do some stuff with us? So it's definitely worth for anyone that's, you know, listening, thinking, oh, has the ship sailed on that? And is it too saturated? Is it too saturated as a photographer? Is it too saturated as a writer? Well, the answer is, okay, it's a lot busier, but it's it's not because if you're very good at what you do, you will get seen and you will get read and you have to, admittedly, it's harder than it used to be. You have to keep pushing, you have to keep sharing. But eventually, if what you're doing is good, it will get seen by the right person and that opportunity will come up. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello, it's John Markar here from the Driven Chat podcast, the podcast that you're probably listening to right now. Now, the reason I'm jumping in as a separate addition to this week's episode is because I want to bring to your attention the fact that we, as Driven and the Driven Chat podcast, are now inviting sponsorship opportunities for our podcast. The Driven Chat podcast has now had more than half a million independent downloads. We have listeners in all corners of the world, but the majority of them are here, right here in the UK. And the reason I say right here is because that's where I'm recording this little advert section. Now, if you are a company, a brand, an organisation, an individual, any form of organisation at all that feel that could benefit from half a million listeners all over the world, then, well, now is the time to get in touch. Podcast at drivenchat.com is the email address you will need to send an inquiry email to. Alternatively, head on over to the website drivenchat.com forward slash contact and there you will see some options of how to get in contact with us and send over a bit more information if there is information you feel we need to see. One thing I can promise you is that sponsorship opportunities are not going to be quite as expensive as you probably think. So why not get in contact? I can talk you through some various different options, episode by episode or a string of episodes or month by month, or who knows what other options there may be available for you. The discussions are there to be had, so please do get in touch. Podcast at drivenchat.com to speak about sponsorship opportunities of Driven and the Driven Chat podcast. And of course, don't forget, there is a lot more to us than just this podcast. There's the YouTube channel, there's the website and the social media feeds, all of which we will enjoy having conversations about collaborative efforts podcast at drivenchat.com or drivenchat.com forward slash contact to get in touch. 
the Driven Chat podcast. Going off on a bit of a tangent here, um, when you did start writing about cars, mm-hmm. was that a difficult learning curve? Because obviously you're saying that as you grew up, you didn't, you know, you were around cars, but not kind of really, it was kind of like a peripheral thing that ended up being something you realised later on in life. So when you went from writing about sex toys to writing about, <laughs> you know, cars, I mean, that first opportunity to that came across, like I remember the first time I got asked to photograph a car, I, I knew nothing about cars at all. I didn't know really anything about the car I was photographing and I Googled the night before how to photograph a car. Didn't learn Incredible. anything. And so, so I suppose that's why I kind of, because you're in the similar kind of way to myself where you find the automotive world later in life. Um, my knowledge, I had, I had no idea about cars 10 years ago. And so now everything, everything that I've learned has been in the last 10 years, I mean, usually from what I've photographed, not necessarily from what I've, I didn't have a suddenly have a major passion where I want to read everything about it. Like Johnny, I suppose you've done that from the word go. Basically, as soon as you, if, yeah. sort of, <laughs> more or less. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that learning curve when suddenly you're trying to write about something you have at the time very little um, knowledge about, you know, only a little bit of interest initially. What was that first job that that you kind of put onto being your first automotive written piece? My first automotive written piece was about the MGA Roadster that belonged to my late grandfather. Okay. So he passed away in 2017. So this is the sixth summer that I've sort of been the custodian of this MGA. And I was still working at the Sunday Times at this point. And I'm going to give him a shout out because he's called Will John. He is the driving.co.uk editor. Um, and I got this car and I wrote about the first time I took it for a drive and he then got a videographer to do a video of me driving it and a little interview about, you know, the time that my granddad had it and taking on that responsibility myself. And so that story about taking on that car and driving it for the first time and a bit about its history was the first thing that I wrote that had an automotive sort of twist to it or theme to it at all. Um, So one of those pivotal moments where I'm really glad that it was my granddad's car that was the focus of that first automotive piece because that car has literally changed my life entirely professionally personally it, it and it saved my sort of brain I think when I got made redundant it's it's an incredible thing and that was all a decision he made because he wanted a nice retirement present and you know you 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 don't think about the impact that decisions you make now are going to have on anyone in 10 years time 30 years time you know whatever that time frame might be you don't think about that but if he'd not bought that car in uh, MG specialist in Bulldog in Hertfordshire in 1991 (laughs) I wouldn't be sitting in this room today and so I feel incredibly privileged that you know he went out and and chose it because yeah it's it's completely changed my life and so that was my first story was the journey of that you know taking on that that car and the first journey was an absolute uh, I'm not gonna say disaster because I made it home uh, <laughs> but it was traumatic because uh, even uh, even actually getting the car started because I'd never paid attention to how you do that and some people might listen and think oh you know 
silly person they don't know how to do it but if you don't know no that's right you've never been shown you've never been shown yeah and you you think just have a guess i'll i know how to drive a car let's give this a go you put the key in you turn it and everything just happens right that's that's all it is (laughs) there has to be a starting point um and i didn't understand or realize that there was a switch underneath the steering wheel that you have to push down Mm -hmm. um i think i I would never think that anyway and i feel like i'm a car person now like unless you're told about the switch you'll never know about the switch exactly (laughs) and i'd never paid attention when i got in the car with him especially when i was older i was like oh what headscarf of my nuns should I wear today <laughs> yeah, it was all of those silly things not paying attention yeah. to the fact that he was you know switching something underneath the steering wheel and potentially using the choke if it was a bit chilly and stuff like that and as ridiculous as it may sound to some people even the handbrake it's you know like the rally handbrakes where you lift it ever so slightly and it just drops to the floor yeah, yeah, fly yeah. off yeah fly, yeah. Is it fly I, off? yeah yeah I didn't realize that that's what how it works so I'm yanking it harder yeah. and, I'm, <laughs> and I've got the neighbor to try and have a go and he everyone couldn't... thinks it's broken because yeah. it's just flopping back down again yeah, yeah I've, we've all done that yeah. Okay. yeah anyone that says they've unless again unless the very first time they got in the car somebody said oh this is what a fly off handbrake is and here's how it works you do because I remember doing it for the very first time getting into it I think it was not Ferrari or something I was driving I was like well this is broken the way you just <laughs> actually like I think it was just this old Ferrari I, I was driving it was a one of one <laughs> Koenig Ferrari yeah. but yeah you're right you, you're right unless you get given these kind of here's a, com- a comprehensive talk through of how it all works you, mm-hmm. everyone just assumes you're kind of you've got but it but you know yeah but you don't no I, I I took this out so I had my sparkly sandals on sunglasses <laughs> diverse. it's a soft top so yep. had the roof down mm-hmm. um, beautiful day go driving um, and he lived in uh, Cambridgeshire and I don't know, twenty minutes in, I was on a dual carriageway. You just, it just, you know, it's it's a story. Biblical rain that turned to hailstones. <laughs> so I pulled into a service station, and this car's got leather seats that it, it kind of like ribbed, so it's got the creases yeah. in it. Yep. Full up of like puddles of water. Oh, no. Interior of the car soaking wet. I'm soaking wet. And I pulled up in the furthest corner of this, this service station car park. I was like, oh, what do I do? Because he'd never had the roof on because he drove it on nice days. I yeah. So I didn't know how you put the roof up. You know, no. it's very simple. You just lift it. But it's a two person job because it's quite stiff because yeah. he'd never used it. Of course. And then, you know, thankfully, there were two uh, classic car um, owners on their way to a classic car show. And they stayed, and like, right. you know, the side aisle, there's like, someone in distress over there. Yeah. So they came over and they helped me. And they were like, oh, have you got the window? I was like, oh, sorry, what? What, windows? Because <laughs> the windows slide out of the doors yeah. and yes. you put, I hadn't bought the windows with me. Oh, no. it, but I learned that car and, you know, the universe taught me that day is that you, you've got to respect this car. You've mm-hmm. got to be more prepared when you go out for a journey in it. Um, I really struggled with the gears on a roundabout and the rain was coming down, didn't know how to turn the headlights on. Mm. At that point, it had no hazard lights. So when I came to a halt on a roundabout in the rain, you're like, no, I'm going to die. And I just, you know, like asking the universe, please let me get back to my granddad's house um, and get it back to his garage, you know, safely. And I did. And I got home and I was like, okay, okay, yeah, I'm going to have to be more respectful of this car um, and and learn a bit more about it. And And I love that because I think there's a lot of people out there would have had that experience and gone... Classic cars aren't for me. Yeah. That, that I'm glad I've experienced that once and for all, but it is once and for all. I'm never driving that again. But it, clearly that wasn't ever going to be an option for you. No. I was like, this is... It made me feel all of the emotions. Yeah. Terrified, excited, uh, a sort of a connection to my granddad as well, because it was, I kind of... I was really curious about 
understanding what it was about this car that had made him keep it for like 30 years. Mm. Um, and visually, British sports car, got a great bum on it. It's got a really nice curve <laughs> over the rear wheels. It's chariot red, you know, black leather seats. It's got a motor litre steering wheel. It's got lots of lovely chrome. It's called Frisky because the uh, number plate is FSK302. Nice. So everything just comes together to create that, you know, I've gone from sexy uh, sex toys <laughs> to sexy car. You know, there is a weird tangent you can draw there. Um, but I didn't understand what it was um, to really feel a car until... I inherited this one and you know my granddad was very much a he always wore a shirt he wore those little elastic things on the you know the forearms I don't mm -hmm. know what yeah. they're called to keep your shirt I know what you mean yeah tight. I don't know what they're called know, either really, yeah. Yeah. yeah um and he'd have a cashmere jumper and a like <laughs> you know he was so such a together sensible thoughtful type of person but then when he got behind the wheel of his car you know, the hair that always had the gel got mm. ruffled. And I've got this amazing picture of the two of us where both of us have just got this hair flick because I was taking a <laughs> selfie as we went along. Um, and it just brought something out in him that growing up, you didn't really see it because you're just, you know, you're not taking it in in the same way. But as an adult, to be seeing him driving that car, he drove it until he was 92. Wow. And he passed away when he was 92. So that shows you how much he loved that car because by that point he was very frail. Mm. And they're quite, you know, it's quite difficult. Um, you know, you have to be quite strong, um, especially on country roads when yeah, there's some yeah. turns and stuff. Um, and just to see him become this different version of himself. Um, and I guess in some way I wanted to see what that car would do to me mm -hmm. um, because it had been always a passion to never a driver. And this was an opportunity to explore that. Um, so, yeah, I took it and just went went straight in and here I am now. So <laughs> three years later, well, well, six years since I sort of took on that custodianship, but sort of I've been in in sort of the car scene, I suppose, since I got made redundant because that's when I went, right, new new life, new opportunity, and I've got this car and the, and the car saved me from, you know, I've been at the paper for 10 years and in 2019 I, and then obviously pandemic came along I didn't know who I was anymore mm. because my identity had been so wrapped up in of this idea you know Gramps was like you're gonna do it and I did it and it was like what do I do now yeah. and then my other granddad sort of has come in somehow and and this car and I'm like okay this is a huge privilege do something useful with it and so I've tried to do that. So that was three years ago. And yeah, it's... Um, now you've got your own TV you show. <laughs> yeah, no, you know. Yeah. <laughs> no, now I'm here. And, and it's it's amazing to feel, you know, to be a guest on a, on a podcast like this because the names that you've had on your rotor of, of guests is incredible. And I'm just like... This is just because Dodo, which is what I called my granddad, bought a car 30-something <laughs> years ago. And I was like, yeah, I'll give that a go, you know. So it's, if you it's break amazing. it down, you know, it's a lot more. It's, it's that started. Right. Then you think about all the things you've just been able to, you know, chat to us about over the last half an hour or however long we've been talking for. And about all of those, you know, the difficult first drive and the having to do the sex toy 
article. <laughs> All of these things. Are, it's not just about your your granddad buying that car. And it's every you've got to give yourself value as well to everything yeah. you've got to, to to get to this point now. I mean, one of the, the questions I wanted to ask as well is like when you were in that really low point, mm-hmm. being made redundant in 2019, you were going to go on this massive journey in the MGA as well, which because of the pandemic got cancelled, and that must have been heart wrenching. Like having planned trips and not been able to do trips as well, heart wrenching. To then pick yourself up again from that point, like what was it that kind of inspired, what you know, things inspired you to start getting back on and being like, okay, I don't know who I am anymore, I don't know what the hell I'm doing, but I'm going to start this kind of journey. Were there certain things that you thought I'm going to have to change the way I'm thinking, or this new avenue of the cars is something I'm actually really interested in? Kind of take us through the process of that, bring yourself back up again from that really low point. Yeah. So um, the redundancy got made on the fourth of September, two thousand nineteen, which was um dodo my late grandfather's birthday so i always remember that day and i was still there at the paper on i think it was the first or second of december and it was a really long drawn out process and it was horrible for everybody because they basically merged the times and sunday times so where you had two teams it was now going to become one which was a digital sort of thinking process Mm. because you can you know utilize people in different ways um but what kind of kept me going through that was this trip that you mentioned so my dad and I had spent about a year planning it and it was to drive the MGA from Bangkok all the way through Southeast Asia through China for 20 days here give or take a few days probably and then Tibet um, to see Everest Base Camp on the northern side then down to Nepal and ship home from Calcutta in India Um, and that was the thing that kept me going because it was a focus you know I haven't got my job anymore but finished that in December and we were due to leave in March 2020 um the car was at Felixstowe docks ready to go on that ship and we were watching the news and at that stage it was purely logistics because 20 days in China if you can't travel through China which is obviously where it started Mm. um then you can't just pick up your car and move it to Tibet (laughs) so we had to cancel and another it was another devastating thing because it was like you know I'd lost myself and my job but I had this trip and it Mm. was like I'd never taken a big chunk of work of time most most of us don't ever get that privilege so that's not a sob story it's just you know but I was like this is my time to to do that um and it sort of felt like the right time because I didn't have a job and my dad um who's self-employed was was gonna do that with me and and he said to me and I always remember he said this is my time this is my turn to do something Mm. because you know he's worked solidly for 40 plus years Mm. and it was it was devastating um and thankfully, we pulled the car um, from going in the ship um, in end of February before um, everything went wow. global kind yeah. of thing. So I'm very lucky that the car didn't depart because that ship actually ended up in China because it got rerouted. So I may never have seen the car again. Well, yeah. absolutely. and again, I was just thinking there as well, like imagine if you were two weeks ahead of yourself yep. and you could have got to the point where... You could have been stuck in China for quite a long time. Oh, yeah. yeah. A long, long, long time. Because yeah. that was a real major, major, major lockdown, wasn't it? For yeah. almost a year. I think. Yeah. Nobody huge. was going in or out. No, um, so really lucky. Wow. Yeah. Really, really lucky. And then I think it was the June when we had that first, you can make a journey that isn't um, sort of... Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, I can't think how they phrased it. Um, it was a non-essential journey. Non-essential, yes. that's um, the one. God, it seems absolutely bonkers it now, does, isn't it? Isn't it? <laughs> Thinking back of what we all did and how we did it and 
going out for our hours exercise and getting back <laughs> and, because that somehow somebody would know and you know. yeah it's yeah. so weird because I used the car for volunteering and things like that and going to the shops um and then when we were able to make those non-essential journeys my dad and I and it actually coincided had everything gone to plan and you didn't break down and stuff like that so um the day that we would have hopefully been at Everest Base Camp was that day that we were able to make that first journey that wasn't essential so we circumnavigated the M25 (laughs) (laughs) and uh and it was that was a one of those moments where it was a real like okay this is you've you've got to move on now you've had your few months to feel sorry for yourself you know I, I had started writing um during that time um a lot about lubricants for cars you know just try to pick up a bit of commercial work mm. here and there lubricants. yeah exactly <laughs> there's a theme here isn't there i never really noticed it until today so it's all coming out um but yeah so we did that that drive and we you know a horrible road but we did yeah. about 4 30 in the morning before my dad went to work because he had to huh. carry on working wow. um and it was just like we're safe we're okay the car's here let's it's time to kind of move move forward mm. um and i just tried to i just contacted people with ideas and and again, just getting myself out there. I have to say a big shout out to Adam who runs um, Revs Limiter. Mm-hmm. So oh, I took yeah, part in a lot of his car Rev. shows online and stuff like that. Yeah. And it's from his group that I met so many people. And isn't that remarkable that during a time where I was completely new to this whole crazy world and I joined this Facebook group. And from there, I got opportunities from work and to make friends and stuff like that. And again, so, you know, that digital journey, it can be so incredibly powerful and useful and, you know, give you a sense of purpose and place and community. Uh, And so from a lot of people I met on there, I started writing about other people's stories with their Mm -hmm. cars um, and just put myself out there, really, and Mm -hmm. just kind of, yeah, went for it. Love it. Yeah. That's wonderful. I love all of this. Yeah, it's really cool. Oh, sandwich that's fan. That's a sandwich fan. That's our love that. weekly interaction. <laughs> I know. And brilliantly, there's about four that seem to come throughout the day. All have the same tune. Oh, do they? And I don't know if all four know about each other. So I, oh, I'd maybe, like to, one yeah. day they're all going to turn up at the same time. There's going to be a big fight in the car park. <laughs> That's so You're great, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ice cream van wars. Which, if you don't know what that is, just give that a quick search on YouTube That's after this podcast because it's brilliant. Yeah. Oh Ice cream wars of London. <laughs> That's a very well thing. Okay. Yeah. If, if nobody's written about it properly, this is this is right up <laughs> is your street. Is this my next story? Okay. This is investigative journalism. <laughs> Why don't we both peak. take an ice cream van each and like shadow the driver? Because this is, it's like, forget Mafia. You ain't seen nothing yet. Wow. Two of the two Mr. Whippies are fighting each other. I'll put that, that one down in my notebook before I go. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's the beginning of like a new Netflix series that I want to yes. watch. Yeah. Yes, right, I'm writing that down. <laughs> must email Netflix later. <laughs> right. Um, I've, I've got loads of questions, so yeah. No, I'll go just, for it. I, sure? I, I mean, I'm keen to get to the, like, Obviously, understanding and learning about how the TV shows come yeah. about. Well, I'm that's guessing my next, that's some that is of my your... next. Yeah, my question number two, which is <laughs> the third question I'm asking. Literally, when did presenting first become an option? Was it something that you already knew? Was it something you were like, uh, I've never done this, but it's always been something I'm really interested in for doing? Like, as we know from the automotive world, we get journalists tend to being rather good presenters, you know. John Markham, and then there's a this is the chap called Jeremy. What's his surname? Clarkson. Mm. You know? He's a farmer now. Oh, so he's a farmer. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah. so, I mean, to have that kind of first, you must. What was it, an email, phone call saying, "Hey, have you ever 
ever thought about presenting? Do you want to fancy doing it being on this TV show? So it, the message slipped into my DMs on Instagram. <laughs> and I thought it was really dodgy. Not that it was badly worded or anything, but I was like, oh, it's going to be one of those casting scams. companies. Uh, it was the director. Um, oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, but yeah. because I didn't know who it was or anything like that, I yeah. just thought, yeah, this is probably one of those things where they'll say, oh, we've got this amazing opportunity um, and it's going to cost you £5,000. <laughs> yeah. And you've got to go through this like training thing. Da, da, da. And so I was skeptical, um, but I said, yeah, let's have a chat on the phone. Mm-hmm. And I was completely wrong because it was 100% legitimate. So wow. he'd found me on Instagram. And, and that just goes to show what you were saying, um, John, about just put yourself out there, put your yeah. content out yeah. there. Because I have got like 6,000 followers. It's not big. Mm. But somehow managed to get noticed. You've got your little niche. Right, find yeah. your niche. Be, who, be yourself. Um, and I got invited to a... Um, Screen test, which is basically... An, so I have had an interview, I suppose. Um, that's my first kind of interview, um, was to do the screen test uh, last June, I think it was. Uh-huh. Those are quite strange, aren't they? Talk us yeah. through that. Like I've how... never done a screen test. Nobody wants me for as, as a presenter. What, what are never they like? Say never. Oh, yeah, that's a good point, actually. Yeah, yeah. What, what, do you, what do you do in a screen test? So, well, the, the really annoying thing is that they sat... Like, I had to sit on a higher chair, and I... A high chair? You know, as in, like, a child's like one. Like a bar stool. <laughs> yeah, like a bar right. stool thing. Yeah. I always find that quite uncomfortable, because you're sort of in this weird position. Yeah. You don't know... It's not very relaxing. It's the least yeah. natural thing yeah. ever. Like, you're not, like I'm you, nobody's ever been comfortable on a bar stool. Yeah. Um, so I was on a bar stool, effectively, uh, in, an, in a workshop in Surrey, and I just had to answer questions about you know what do I do um, for a living my interest in cars my thoughts on restoration why it's important all those sorts of questions uh, it went on for about I think about 20-25 minutes mm-hmm. and then um, I was then taken outside to the sort of um, outside the workshop and there was a car there and I had to interview what was actually one of the camera guys about the car but he didn't actually own the car Perfect. <laughs> so it was, it was a bit like um, I'd ask a question he'd be like I don't know um, and it wasn't being difficult it was just they needed someone to step in to, yeah. to be the person the owner of the car yeah. um, and he, he gave it a go um, and yeah so did that and drove away and I think it was about four three or four weeks later I got a phone call and I'd just done this massive epic drive in the MG and I got this phone call so I was on a high after this this huge journey in the car and I got the phone call and it's like you've you've got the job as the presenter and I was like what (laughs) yeah so that's awesome not something actually I was gonna say it's not something I'd ever expected but I've got this thing called the wardrobe wall of dreams. Um, and so it's got loads of bits of scraps of paper, sellotape to it, blue tack to it inside my wardrobe. And it's things that I want to try in life, achieve in life or just do in life. So it's everything from always have calf breakfasts with my friend Lauren. Nice. We love our greasy spoon. So it's yeah, like yeah. that's something that will never come off the wardrobe wall of dreams because that's going to be there forever. <laughs> and then it's stuff like, you know, try out uh, something like a Herbie's diner, have a burger there or yeah, try yeah. TV. And so it had been on my wardrobe wall of dreams to try TV and I can now take that bit of paper off and oh put it in my God. old, it's an old uh, plastic jam jar thing for, that used to have sweets in it. Nice. And all the dreams go in there. That, But it's it's stuff that's, as I say, something that's really like, you know, I don't know, try this certain flavour of crisps that I saw an advert for. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things where I think in life you're so, you can get so uh, bogged down by I must achieve this, must achieve that. Yeah. And actually if you give yourself little goals, like something like, I don't know, there's a new ice cream that you want to try 
put it down as yep. a thing. I've, and I've then when a... you put it in the jar, you're like, cool, I did something new. Because nice. yep. you got... don't always realise. You know, again, it's those little things as well that you kind of forget. I've got, I've got a list of 35 things I want to do from 35. I think it's going to have to be a 40 before 40. But some of them in mass things, like one of them was, I think I started writing when I was like 24. So one of them was like own a house. So that was a big one, which I've got to mm. take off. Another one was pick up a really big spider. So a little <gasps> one. But it's all these little things that, <laughs> you know, the, kind of. The, I think another one was pretty, like, have my hair dyed or something because I'd never dyed my hair. So, you know, pathetic things. But yeah, it's, it's those... It's not pathetic though. But it's, as you said, yeah. it's those little things that kind of keep you kind of reminding yourself that you are um, still achieving, mm-hmm. even if it's just the little things of, oh, you know what? I wanted to go. I wanted to go and make that that journey to go and try that ice cream and also be a TV presenter. So you can take both of those things yeah. off the wardrobe. So. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I found out in June and we started filming in July. And the first day on set was, you know, we had the heat wave last year. Mm. The first day on set was the first day of that heat wave. And so we were filming outside all day in the yard. And it's one of those places where the sun is just on it all day. And I wore a new T-shirt that had not been sweat tested. I was like, no. So, you know, the adverts adverts where you don't lift your arms up because you've got sweat patches. So it's very much like that. Wave from the elbows. And then at lunchtime, I chose a wrap that had like hummus in it because it was so hot. The oil came out the hummus. So then got oil down the top. You know, it's like, oh. At least it's a workshop. So you can at least be like, oh, yeah, it's grease from the cars. Yeah, under the car, yeah. (laughs) No, I'm just really messy and sweaty. (laughs) Now we know the truth yeah exactly (laughs) so how long was filming in total then if it's from july last year and Mm -hmm. so if it's only just come out now which is july 2023 um what was the full total time of filming july to november okay Um, not solid yeah so we did it in blocks so my role on the show is to welcome the owner to the workshop interview them about their car Mm -hmm. the the times they've had with it you know why they love it um, and then sort of start to diagnose what might be wrong with it. So they tell me the symptoms and you kind of like get that story out of them. Yeah. And then the car goes into the workshop and we've got um, Derek and Hannah, who are the mechanics. Mm-hmm. You've got Jerry Lee, who does the trim shop, um, no, body shop, sorry. And then Freya, who does the trim work. And they each sort of repair the bits of the car that their sort of expertise sits within. And then when the car's finished... I then reunite the owner with the car and get that lovely, like, all the praise, you know. I was like, you're so welcome. I worked really hard on this. I don't actually get hands on. Um, And that's one of the things that I've come into this whole world and I've been really honest about is, and Mm. I champion that, is that it's actually okay not to be spanners on, know all the Haynes manuals inside out because there is that sort of group within the scene that, rivet counters oh, is what they call yeah, them yeah and mm. I just and, and it's really off-putting and I get criticised a lot for not knowing stuff Man. about the mechanics and it's do like do you think it's, it's being female that you end up getting criticised more like, 100% yeah okay well that's not just me that feels it as well and I was like John you'll never quite understand no. it's, 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 it's crazy how especially if you're I feel that um, if you're getting in as a female in the car world unless you know everything unless you're really good at everything yeah. you get criticised for things you don't know and you're not good at and I think there's a much less leeway as a as a woman kind of doing it than blokes who are like oh you know you know you, you, you should probably know about this or I don't know maybe it's all in our heads but that kind of feels no, quite I, I think as a as a guy well spoiler done. alert for anyone that's not seen a photo <laughs> of me um I, I I think you're absolutely right I think and and I've seen this in the, all the different aspects of automotive that I've worked from events to journalism to media focused stuff um 
I think it is a it is a common thing, and I think there is a strange psychology, and, I, and it's certainly not all guys. I'll oh, make that very clear that. because there are plenty of guys, and especially the younger generation. I think now it's what I love about like Gen Z and that kind of era of people is that people just don't really care anymore about what you are, who you are, what you think, what you believe in, what your sexual orientation is. People just don't give a hoot, and I love that I absolutely love that but there definitely is a category and an age bracket and a period of time that's perhaps generated and and it again it's not going to be exclusively to that age bracket but there are a category of men who feel that perhaps women girls shouldn't be for whatever reason which is bonkers shouldn't be in this environment of male dominated workshop you know my car's always been fixed by barry and therefore when charlotte suddenly in the workshop like that doesn't make sense and it's only because they're completely ignorant to it it's because they've never had anyone in their family mm-hmm. a, f- a female family member who does know how to fix a car or who does know how to run a workshop or who does know how to retrim leather they've never seen it so therefore to them it's quite an alien thing it's that's what my granddad used to do or that's what my uncle used to do or that's what barry next door used to do so i think there is still quite a big group of people that need to kind of get their head around this and I'd even go as far as saying it's not even just exclusively men there are I've I've had conversations with grown women who are definitely old enough to know better who have been like oh no I wouldn't give my car to a female mechanic because that just doesn't seem right and I'm there like what plan is you on (laughs) like if somebody knows how to do the job they know how to do the job you'd never criticize the difference between a male writer and a female writer mm-hmm. or a male artist and a female artist or a male photographer and a female photographer, it just wouldn't even cross your mind, would it? But somehow, for whatever reason, there's this strange category when it comes to things like engineering. It It's all still seen as a very masculine trade and therefore any woman or girl that's having a go at it is kind of doing so almost as a bit of a joke, like, oh, look at, the, look at her, she's having a go at fixing the cars. And it's like, no, that's her career that's her job it's what she's trained to do it's it is very strange I definitely uh, as a as a guy the only guy in the room would say it is still a problem and it is still something that hopefully through time will become more and more normalized and thankfully thanks to the younger generations I think that will rapidly get better um but no it's a definite it's a real thing I really do believe it's a real thing and I, I don't like the idea of anyone listening girls especially that are listening thinking is this actually all in our heads are we overthinking this because you're not it's no. it's a real thing and it needs to be fixed mm. yeah well and that's what tv shows like yours is definitely going to be doing because you're champion you've got two, well, two two women in your in your team out of was it four of you did you say uh so there's oh I have to count for five women mm-hmm. uh, and Derek, um, so it's female led. Oh, so it's all, all, all female. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Amazing. Yeah, and I think what's really nice about it is that you know it is you know we all we've it is female led, but then you've got Derek who has been in the industry for forty plus years. He's built cars for Le Mans. Mm-hmm. He is incredible, and so it shows that relationship between you know the generation that have got that decades of experience, and you really respect that. But he can also work with us who have different skill sets, different approaches to the way that you work. Um, and the show itself, you know, we're dealing with everything from like a leaky aerial to brakes on a pre-war Bentley that don't work. And so the show really sort of showcases 
the diversity of cars, the diversity mm. of people, and also the fact that you know anyone can come and watch the program and 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 pick up something because not everyone knows how to fix a leaky aerial. No, that's, that's right, a legitimate yeah. thing to watch. Okay, yeah. there might be someone that finds it boring because you know they know how to do that, but don't dismiss it. And I think that's what I find really mm. frustrating is that things get dismissed by people because they think that their knowledge is above it and therefore it's not warranted to have airtime or column inches or things like that you know and I've never come into this saying that I'm a mechanic I've learned loads because of my car and I do think it's important to have some basic knowledge if you're going to have an older vehicle um, because you want to look after it and also it may be more likely to break down than something more contemporary so if you can empower yourself with that knowledge then it takes the sting out of it and the stress out of it for you Um, but it's not you know that you don't have to start with that and you know you go to some of these sort of car shows and people just talk down to you because you're not an encyclopedia of Mm. this that and the other and it's like well that doesn't matter I still enjoy my car just as much as you do it's just in a different way Mm. Um, so you know anyone that's listening it doesn't matter what your knowledge base is if you love the car if you love cars if you love road trips whichever way you come at it from it could be like photography it could be someone that wants to do the trim shop it it could be someone that wants to do artwork or upcycling old car parts to turn into a sculpture there's so many different ways you can enjoy it Mm. it doesn't have to be that old-fashioned you know i'm a member of a car club and we meet up every month and we do this and i know everything about all the engines and all the specs and yeah you know but also i totally respect that because Mm. it's without those people that we wouldn't know how to keep the cars on the road anyway. So just, you know, everyone needs to just chill (laughs) and just enjoy it, you know? I think there is a lot to be said. It's and and you kind of touched on it there. The importance of just having an understanding. It's like this universal world of understanding. And we we talk about this actually a lot with motorcycle riders. It's like that unspoken bond between all motorcycle riders, especially on a day like today where it's Peshing down with rain outside, although now it's it looks like it, it might looks have stopped. Like it's, yeah, but not too bad. You know, if you're riding a motorcycle in the rain and you see another motorcyclist also riding in the rain, you both kind of give that little like, <laughs> we're idiots, aren't we? Like, because you both know how miserable that can be, but you also know how utterly brilliant it can be. And it's exactly the same in the classic car world. And that's why I love going to places like Goodwood or Le Mans Classic, because again, even if you're turning up with a car, you know, a 1980s Ford, and somebody else might be turning up with a 1920s Bugatti, the two of you can kind of identify that you are both in this really cool club of people that have chosen not to get the conforming modern day turnkey electronic ignition, easy white goods off the shelf car. You've decided to actually spend your hard-earned money on something that's a bit different and a bit more engaging and a bit more involving. And just having that understanding between other people, regardless of how technical your list of knowledge and abilities are, that doesn't matter. It's just knowing that I know a little bit what it's like to drive your car and you know a little bit what it's like to drive my car and therefore we are kind of in this cool club, Mm -hmm. which is really special. Mm -hmm. It's a really, really special thing. And it's a bit, and again, with the TV show, I'm guessing it's going to be you're going to be attracting audiences who firstly love cars, but also who might not love cars, but might love the craft of putting things back together. And I think of the, one of the examples is um, the BBC's repair shop, which is just like flying off the shelf. It's one of the most successful mm-hmm. shows the BBC have made in recent history. And that could be fixing anything from old push bikes to a wristwatch to a teddy bear. Mm-hmm. I don't really particularly care for the 
uh, repair of teddy bears as an industry, but I'll happily watch somebody do it because yeah. <laughs> it's a craft. You know, and watching somebody who knows how to stitch and stuff and repair and clean with special chemicals and do all these things that I never, ever, ever would have had any prior interest in but for me i love watching that show because there are people on it and in fact one of the guys that is on the repair shop is a is a listener of our podcast oh really yeah that's cool i can't remember his name which is terrible (laughs) but he also follows me on instagram he's a lovely guy and he's he's one of the guys on the on the team and again i watch the team just fixing things and as i say it might be something i have no interest in but i just love seeing there are people that care and that have this area of expertise that just build these amazing things and it's quite nice to have yeah, i'd to imagine a... you could lose many hours if you didn't love cars just watching the show going oh look at that that's yeah. how you retrim leather or that's how you restore wood or... well that's a question i wanted to ask how what's how in depth of the repairing cars is is the show because i'm already sorry i've not watched the the, the first episode yet i'm gonna watch it on uk tv uh, yeah play the catch up yeah. I, right I'm <laughs> it's available and I'm, there will be repeats but i can't then. remember what days are <laughs> <laughs> well okay when after i've watched one i'll be able to know all the answers but until then what like is it full restoration is it just a heavy amount of restoration is it just like some heavy service work what is the extent that these cars come to you guys so and each episode the- um has two cars yeah uh, we also have an automobilia section as well um and and each vehicle will have something that's different. Like that's been really important is that every vehicle has a different problem. Mm-hmm. So it's not full on restoration. So we're not sort of like stripping back paintwork, taking all the engines out, the whole things like that. It's owners who are coming to us and saying, I really don't know how to fix this. I need some help. Um, I'm not sure what the problem or what's causing the, the symptom. Um, and so they're all, you know, at different levels of knowledge base um so it's anything from there was one car that's come in and there was an oil leak so it was leaving this calling card everywhere Hmm. um but she was like oh i think it's just an oil leak but i'm not quite sure what's like where it's coming from blah 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 anyway it turns out that when hannah and derek like looked at the vehicle it needed an entire engine rebuild and they couldn't believe that it had actually got to the workshop under its own steam. (laughs) So you've got something like that and then you've got, like I mentioned earlier, you've got a pre-war Bentley that a young man is sort of taking over custodianship. It belonged to his dad. It's got problems with the brakes, electrics. Um, So, you know, and then you've got on last night's show, you had a Peugeot um, 306 GTI, had a leaky aerial and really tatty seats. So every car has something different that's wrong with it but also you've got such a spectrum of cars you know the mechanics on a pre-war bentley like brakes is totally different to 19 God, something yeah. Yeah. mini so you know there is something sort of to suit every sort of taste i suppose but such a range of problems as well and we do like paint work and things like that so it's it's all the elements of classic car restoration but just different elements on different cars mm. how were each of these people found with their cars like because as you said that's such a wonderful range that it's um i don't know i wouldn't even know where to begin i mean it's quite easy to find people with classic cars that have got problems that's i think everybody <laughs> but, um, yeah. if you think of an mgb that needs a new uh, wiper motor, motor. <laughs> <laughs> thing, you like, can be on the next series <laughs> i mean fingers crossed if you want to have a wiper motor that's fallen into the car and the wiper stuck one way then i can be your gal yeah um but that must be quite especially because there must be so many people that you could choose from what helped you guys choose who to you know, was it, was it their own stories that you thought, okay, th- this sounds like somebody that needs a, bit, a lot of help. It's a beautiful story. Let's let's film this person, like that kind of 
picking process? It was a bit of everything, really. I mean, I didn't get to choose the cars mm-hmm. personally, um, but they did a call out on social media, inviting people to get in touch, you know, and share their story uh, about the car itself and then also what was wrong with it. So it was just, you know, as I say, I, I didn't do that myself, but as, as far as I understand, it's just that process of getting a nice balance mm. of stories. You know, you want some stories where it might be... It's 19-year-old's first car, and it's a classic. It might be a car that was inherited from a grandparent. It might be a car that someone uses for global adventures. And so it was about getting a really nice selection of different vehicles and the way that they use as well. You know, we've got a Baja Beetle. Uh, I think it's next week's um, programme, which will be out now if you're listening. Mm-hmm. Um, and this lady rallies it around the world. Cool. And she does that on her own a lot of the time. And you're just like, that's awesome. And then, you know, you've got something like a Rolls Royce that this young man inherited from his granddad. And he's a mechanic, this young lad, um, but he works on contemporary stuff. And so he just didn't know how to fix the problem. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and that's really interesting is that, you know, you've got a, someone that's a mechanic by trade now, but doesn't necessarily know the heritage side of things. Um, so it's just all about the interesting stories. And and the show last night, um, it, it, it introduced everyone to the cat family. And so um, this husband and wife had this Ford Cortina that they'd rallied around the world. And then their kids started using it as well and got involved in, in the rallying side of things. Um, and the husband has now got really, really poorly. He's in a care home and they have to sell this car. And so our job was to recommission it because it hadn't been used for like 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really sad because it's the only car on the show that has been bought in to be brought back to life, but was then going to be parting ways with its owner. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, really, really like heartbreaking. But they were the nicest family ever. Um, and unfortunately they haven't sold the car yet because, you know, as is life, it's been a really tough time for them. Mm. Um, so if anyone wants a rallied Ford Cortina, <laughs> um, it's, it's still available. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it's quite emotional at times filming the show. I, I was about to say that because again, this is the one thing that I think a lot of people that don't surround themselves in the world of classic cars, but not necessarily just classic cars, but cars in general is that, the car, the metal product, the bit that sits on the four wheels and has the engine at the front or at the back and the seats in the middle is often, the, as mad as it may sound, one of the most insignificant parts of the journey. It's the stories, it's the experiences. It's like yeah, the beautiful story you shared about sitting in your granddad's Ford Escort and having conversations. And, you know, I can think back to childhood memories that I have, which, you know, the most insignificant journeys in the world and the most insignificant car, like a chocolate brown Ford Cortina. But yet in that car, I can remember having the most deep and meaningful and important conversations with my mum, which, and you know, like a Ford, a Ford Cortina of that era is not a desirable car, especially not in chocolate brown. Um, but you might be able to see where my love for chocolate brown cars yeah. comes from. Um but, you know, if, if that car suddenly reappeared, you know, it would mean nothing to the vast majority of people. But within that metal box, that brown metal box, were, you know, sharing of emotions and fears and insecurities and sometimes, you know, just a drive to the shops and sometimes a family holiday to Littlehampton on the South Coast. And, you know, mm-hmm. all of that made it a special thing. And, you know, sometimes you'll find these cars that, are regarded as special and it might be a pre-war Bentley that maybe even raced in competition but 
that's not the bit that matters. The bit that matters is that relationship that somebody's taken over that car, the ownership of that car from their father, who will have amazing memories as a child, who will then go on to make amazing memories maybe with their own children. And they become this catalyst to stories and adventure and emotion and happiness and stress, but relief. It's, mm. it's They're just such amazing things. And I can just imagine you're probably only just scratching the surface on some of these cars and unpicking some of those stories. But there might be times where, or there must have been times where you've been talking to people thinking, I almost want to write a story about you and your car now because there seems to be so much to it. Absolutely. I mean, there were 20 owners that came along. Some bought my family members as well. And, you know, when you're filming something like this, when someone's bringing their cars to the workshop and you're doing that initial handover and they're telling you about it and, you you know, you're finding out what's wrong with it, you film that same sequence about three times so you're filming maybe up to four hours with that individual you know individual and their family members and things like that and then in actual show it gets cut about like i don't know two minutes (laughs) yeah and i just say tell me about your car whereas i've had this amazingly rich in-depth conversation Mm. and the thing is in that environment you know i put myself in this as well is that i'd never been in front of the camera so it's new to me as well mm-hmm. and I, but i am there you know it's my new job and i'm up for it you know and and someone that's bringing their car along to be on telly they're obviously willing to be on tv mm-hmm. but when you get put into that actual scenario when there's two camera guys a director it's really hot um and you've then got to think about how to tell your story in a clear way, an elegant way, an interesting way, a lively way, mm. you go, oh, yeah. you know. And my job is, is easy because I just get to ask questions and then I leave that gap and wait for an answer. Yeah. And and so for some people who came along, it was quite intimidating, as it was for me, you know. Um, you feel that pressure because you want to get it right. Um, and the director was amazing, a chap called Michael. He was so supportive, both of me and everyone that came along with their car. And the, I suppose the joy of doing it three times is that by the third time, you're just like, we've said all this before. Yeah. And then you think of that fantastic one-liner and then you like <laughs> smashed it on the third attempt. And so that in itself was a real process because you really got, I really got to know the owners during that time of filming mm. But then it's quite often when the cameras are off, you continue that conversation. And it's my instinct to want to tell that story and to keep my gob shut for a whole year. (laughs) Really difficult because I like chatting. Um, And I would love to move those owners' stories on, you know, get back in touch. And I've kept in touch with quite a lot of the people um, that we filmed with, um, you know, social media and just WhatsApping and things like that and seeing where they're at because obviously they got their cars back at the end of last year. So they've been having a adventures and stuff like that and I'm not I want to write about that and, oh, yeah. but I can't because yeah. I've had to keep my gob shut um <laughs> so you know when the series is finished maybe I can sort of pick up those stories and right. and re like you know tell the next chapter um and it's just been amazing because like often when they bring their car to the workshop you say goodbye like with a handshake mm. and then by the time they go home with it when you fixed it not me personally but when everyone in the workshop's done their thing I get to have that hug and, yeah. you know, yeah, wave of them off. And that's really nice because I think that, you know, that shows you how people feel about their cars is that, you know, that first initial handshake turns into a hug because they're so grateful that the thing that they love has 
you know, has been given that revived mm. sort of whether it's the look of it, whether it's the drivability of it, the safety of it, all of those things. And they're really appreciative. And as I say, I get all the credit because, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, yeah. Oh, yeah, thanks, guys. Yeah, yeah. It's all really tough. Really, really tough. <laughs> so no, it is very special. Yeah, I, I'm somebody that looks at life. Um, I imagine life is like a book with lots of different chapters, but you never know how long the book's going to be or how many chapters there might be. And there might be you know, sequels or whatever to the book. But I love the idea that for people with these cars, you're almost adding an entire chapter or you're starting a new volume to that car story. Mm-hmm. And you've been part of that, like this this process and with it being a TV show. And you know, that's, that's exciting in itself. You know, the car that you've had in the family for ages is suddenly going to be on TV and so are you and you'll be able to tell the story of why it's special to you and then you're going to see it get repaired. And then it goes off to have another, who, who knows, 50 years, 60, 70, 100 years of ownership with where it's handed down through the family. And that just makes it, it does make it a really special thing. So, yeah, I mean, I'm really, really excited to watch the entire series. I'm sure it's going to go down really well. Um, remind people where they can watch it. So it's on on Dave on Sunday evenings. At 6pm. 6pm. Yep. And if you're listening to this at the, at the time that it's coming out, you've got two or three, two, a few episodes to catch up on. Yep. I've already been out, which you can catch up on on UK TV. Yeah, that right? UK TV Play, I think. And then is. next week, you can watch that. If you're here in the UK, listening in real time, you can get the next episode as it comes out. And if you're in the US of A, remind me again. Motor Shed Squad. Motor Shed Squad. I apologise for that terrible accent. I don't mean to uh, be disrespectful. <laughs> I just can't say it with an English Motor twang. Motor Shed Squad. <laughs> I Shed genuinely Squad. struggle to say that. Motor Shed that Squad. Yeah. All the S's and shape changing that make my strange <laughs> speech impediment not quite work um, and that's on motor trend motor trend motor yeah trend. so that's really really exciting um any whispers about more seasons or is that all i think we would all absolutely love one um we've got to wait and see what the viewing figures are um so fingers crossed and if anyone wants to watch it over and over and over again i was about to say that just get one of those little nodding bird things just constantly presses f5 to refresh just all your windows on your computer (laughs) just have multiples open yeah you have to let it play to the very end otherwise they know yeah Uh, and don't skip the commercials (laughs) all those things Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, just from hearing you talk about it and getting that little glimpse into it, I have no doubt that it's going to be a massive success. And I'm sure that uh, many of our thousands of listeners will be going to check it out now or watching it live and crucially catching up because those are the ones that get counted. Mm. Yeah, it's so, <laughs> so interesting. All yeah. the different algorithms and things that they sort of rate the success on and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, which nobody will know. ever share. Yeah. There'll always be one or two people in an office somewhere that know exactly how many people have watched things. Like Netflix will never share a statistic of how many streams something will get, but there are a very small number of people that know. Mm. Oh, we're both... Mm. Mm. <laughs> Who knows? A bit like the listeners to this podcast. I know how many, but not many other people do. So all five of you, thanks for listening. <laughs> yeah. no, my mum will listen. I'll be six. Oh, there you hey. go. Perfect. Maybe she'll subscribe as well. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure she will. And leave she a nice a review. Good podcast. Yeah. If I don't see now a review about charlotte's wonderful interview then. yeah but the thing is she'll put it on facebook by accident you know it's like that crossover between yeah. platforms it's not always it's not always clear no 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 it's true it's true um so i mean in the meantime what is next what's what have you got coming up have you are you still writing about cars and adventures have you got anything cool coming up 
I am planning a big adventure in the MGA. Uh, so one of the things um, that I sort of wanted to do with the car was to do some good with it because I recognise that privilege. And the car itself, obviously, is an MGA Roadster, 1960. Mm-hmm. Um, that comes with a price tag that had I wanted to buy one now, I wouldn't be able to afford myself. So I'm very conscious of that privilege and I want to do something with it that is good for other people mm-hmm. uh so last year my dad and i did um a challenge which we named the four points challenge so we went from north london to the four furthest points of mainland uk and that totaled around two thousand miles mm. and we gave ourselves 48 hours to do it in oh wow uh, driving and navigating swapping positions and we were doing that to raise money for the blood bikers so cool. yep. they are the guys and gals that courier breast milk blood uh, for NHS, mm-hmm. hospitals, hospices, all sorts of people um, and organisations. And they do that for free. So wow. we were raising money for them. And 2,000 miles, set ourselves a target of £2,000. And we raised just over six in the end. Wow, um, well so done. that was really cool. Yeah. Um, and so we set off at four o'clock in the morning and we finished 46 hours and 59 minutes later. Okay. So wow. the car was an absolute champion um and it was just one of them it's probably the most incredible thing we've done in the car so far mm. um and it's just really important to me that i do something positive with it that helps mm. others sure. um so we are currently in the early stages of organizing the next big driving challenge which is to take the car to the arctic circle cool oh, wow. so mj to the arctic Kind of, you know, see yeah. where it sounds very sounds good, good doesn't it? Sounds, yeah, yeah. Um, it's going to be a nice headline. Yeah, but the thing with that is that I'm very conscious, as I think we all will be, of the environment now, mm-hmm. the impact um, our, our hobby has on it. Uh, so my target is to find someone who will help us um, and provide some sustainable or um, sustainable or uh, carbon offset, carbon type, offset type fuels, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, things like that. Because it's sustainable and synthetic, isn't it? There's, they're mm. different. So it's, yeah, it's, there are so yeah. That's many why I was hesitating there because I was E-fuels, like, which is the synthetics and bio, which is bio, the right yeah. one. Um, um, oh, that sounds really, really cool. Yeah, because really, really I think cool. if we can do it with a fuel that's kind to the environment, yeah. then takes away that argument of like okay you're raising money for a charity or an organization you're raising the profile of that charity as well so you're doing two good things but you're then polluting the planet Mm. so if if i can help get find some help with that that would be amazing um because you know it's just trying to get that whole picture um together of like doing some good but not damaging you know it's it's a tricky one yeah, um i might but... be able to help with that oh. because i have had a guy reach out on instagram recently who have following i think one of the conversations that we had on one of our podcasts about synthetic fuels and yeah. me saying i want to learn more about it and how it works and what it all means i then did have somebody reach out to me on instagram go ah oh, actually i work for a company that makes them oh, wow. and they want to come on the podcast cool so, Synergy. We can, uh, that's not what the company's called. I'm aware of that. So that is actually an oil brand. Uh, but we, yes, let's talk about that afterwards because I'm sure all the people. there will be somebody mm. we can mutually connect. I would definitely listen to that podcast though because it's so complicated. Oh my god, it's <gasps> just a, 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 it breaks my brain. Very trying exciting. To understand though. how it all works. Very exciting. Uh, but this Friday, I'm driving a hydrogen car for the first time, oh, wow. and I still don't know how hydrogen works. Mm. I have no idea. Watch a YouTube video. You'll figure it out. I know. Well, I'm just going to go and like drive it and ask the man the, <laughs> the lady just go how does what how, how does it go how am i going how does this seeming water turn into power turn into energy and then emit water so clever don't know yeah so uh, exciting that. we're all learning 
Mm. Exciting stuff. Uh, well, Charlotte, this has been so much fun. Oh, it's been lovely. Thank you for Thank coming you. in. Thank you for coming and joining us in our little corner of Coventry. Um, you mentioned the, earlier your Instagram feed. Let's get you some more followers. Yay. So where do people find you? It's at Charlotte Felden. So my surname is spelt V for Victor, <laughs> O-W-D-E-N for November. Because it can sound like Bowden, Walden, so it's Walden. Yeah. So Char- at Charlotte Walden. I like the idea of you being called Charlotte Walden. Walden. <laughs> I like that, actually. Yeah, maybe I should just change it. Well, in fact, yeah. we've all three of us have got names that can be easily misheard or misconstrued. Because oh, yeah. I, I, when you changed, well, in fact, before you were before. Mrs. Haynes, yes. I assumed it was Haynes as in the Haynes Manual, which yeah. is H-A-Y. H-A-Y-N-E-S. Oh, no. H-A-Y. Yeah, and mm. being sure it was... Oh, S-H-A-W. No. S-U-R-E. No. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, try having the surname Markar. What? Exactly. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, yeah, like the pen. Nope. Nope. How do you spell it? Like nothing you've ever seen before. But do you announce certain letters like I do, the V for Victor? That's the sort of thing my nan did, you know. It's like yeah. the V for Victor, and she, you know, she answered the landline, 875902. Yeah, yeah. Michael, yeah. <laughs> so, that's something that nobody will understand anymore, no. unless you had grandparents of that age. Yep. Like, yeah, yep. the same thing. I would never hear any. Maybe we should just bring it back. Just oh, see mobile. Yeah. <laughs> you can't really... It made it more, made more sense when you only had everyone had the same beginning bit That's of your right, phone yeah. number and the end <laughs> of it was different. So now you're just gonna say, "This is I'm sure Amy Haynes uh, seven da, 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 da. I don't think it's gonna quite catch on with that, is no. it? What's your voicemail? Um, do you say like, "Hello, it's Amy," and not that you speak you know like what? Lady Penelope, but <laughs> <laughs> "Hello, I am Amy." In the no. short, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've not actually listened to it for a very long time. I've no idea what it no. says. I know exactly what mine says, and it says, "Do not leave me a voicemail." <laughs> because for whatever reason, my phone provider and iPhone don't talk to each other with voicemail. So people can leave me a voicemail, but I get, firstly, no notification that it's there. And I have no idea how to get them. Like, oh, I know, no. And I know I'm sounding <gasps> like we're talking about secret messages that are there. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. No, my, my, my voicemail literally says, thanks for calling. I haven't answered the phone, obviously. Please don't leave me a voicemail because I won't hear it. <laughs> Send me a text. Is this one of those things where he just can't be bothered? He can't be bothered. So that's his get out, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> or I, I, I should just like ring myself from another landline and just leave like a 20-minute voicemail so the mailbox fills up so that people <laughs> stop leaving me voicemails. Because I'm sure there are about 15 on there that have probably been in there a couple of years and I'll never hear them. So if you have once phoned me and left me a voicemail, I've not heard it, send me a text. There you for go. For goodness sake. Right, are. anyway, we're spiralling out of control, as we often <laughs> yeah. do. Um, yes, Charlotte, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, Let's make you. sure everyone goes and follows Charlotte on Instagram. You will, of course, see on this week's feed on our Instagram on Driven Chats, you will see all the links through to Charlotte's profile there, as well as details on where to find the show. They'll also be in our show notes below. So wherever you're listening to this episode, just scroll down or swipe up and you will see all the show notes there where you can watch the show. Uh, if you're in the US, how to watch it on Motor Trend. And if you're elsewhere in the world, Tough. you're going to have to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help you, but VPN is your friend. Um, so if you want to watch it on, say, UK TV, um, I think I think that's everything. Yeah. Oh, I have to do the call to actions. I always forget. So don't forget to check out everything we do at Driven.site. That's where you can see articles written by me and videos that we make and uh, photographs that Amy's taken and various other things like news stories that were coming out every other day or so. We've got all the latest automotive news that we think you want to know about on the website. So go and have a look, Driven.site. Don't forget to give us a follow on social media as well, at Driven Chat on all of the platforms. And if you're feeling especially kind and you've enjoyed this week's episode, why not leave us a lovely review? And most importantly, why not share this episode with a friend? Send them a link and say, listen to this. It's lovely. 
It's all about wanting to get into journalism. And this is what you want to do. So here you go. Listen to Charlotte talk about it. And you might have to go through a stint of writing about sex toys. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe not. Embrace it. Embrace, Embrace it. the journey. Enjoy the journey and see where you end up. And that is the line to end with. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Speak Thank to you next you. week. The Driven Chat Podcast. Powered by Paramex Digital. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Oh, wow. You've made it to the end. The very end. And it's John Markar here again, reminding you that this podcast, the Driven Chat podcast, has now run its course and has come to an end. To find the new format, search the Driven podcast in your preferred podcast app or head on over to the website driven.site to find some quick and easy links through to the new episodes in the new formats on your preferred apps. Thanks. Bye.